0: I don't care if they're uh, not Christians, I don't care if they're homosexuals, I don't care if they're whatever. We want to encourage them with the hope that only the Lord offers. And so we do that gently, we do that kindly, we do that with great sensitivity and with great respect.
1: Welcome to this week's edition of First Person. I'm Wayne Shepard, and my guest today is Bruce Sonnenberg, the founder and director of He Intends Victory, a ministry to those who are suffering from HIV AIDS around the world. You'll meet Bruce in just a moment. Each conversation you hear on First Person is for the purpose of listening to the stories of people who have been redeemed by Christ and called into the service of the gospel. We've talked with many people over the last year, and you can go back and listen to any previous interview when you go online to FirstPersonInterview.com. December 1st will be World AIDS Day, bringing attention to the plight of millions of victims, some even innocent children who suffer from this horrible disease. But there are some people who, in the name of Jesus Christ, reach out to minister to these victims, both physically and spiritually. One such person is the man you'll meet today, Bruce Sonnenberg. You'll hear how God got Bruce's attention on this issue and how the ministry has grown. We'll place links to his ministry at FirstPersonInterview.com. I visited Bruce in his California office recently and asked him to describe the circumstances that led to this ministry.
0: You know, Wayne, I was very, very discouraged about AIDS, and I remember telling my wife after watching the evening news one night, I am sick and tired of hearing about AIDS. It seemed like every time you turned the television on, the, re- the news said something about AIDS, this, and AIDS, that. and But you were a pastor at the I time, right? I was a right? pastor, and I was working with the homeless. I mean, I was also on the board of a, of a homeless ministry, and I was uh, excited about helping people, and I loved the Lord, but I didn't see the full scope of this disease and the effect it had on people. And so I was very, very down on HIV and AIDS. And that was back in 1986. And the Lord began to work in my life and change my heart and he did that with three different experiences relatively close to each other i had a knock on the door of my office now every pastor gets knocks on his door and sometimes there's part and parcel of being a pastor <laughs> it is you know it's people you don't know or people stop by and i knew this young man who was at the door he's about 21 22 his name was kevin and i knew him fairly well because he had Come to visit us at church a number of times with his parents. His mom and dad were members of our church, and he uh, he would come, and I knew he didn't know the Lord. They had told me that. And so he ended up uh, standing there in front of me and uh, saying, Pastor Bruce, could I talk to you for a few minutes? And of course I said, Sure, come on in, Kevin. He sat down and he shared with me that he needed to tell his parents about something. He didn't know how to do it. And I could tell he's very sad and very broken. And he said, I need to tell my parents that I've been living in a homosexual relationship. Mm. I I knew he lived in Hollywood, and I knew he worked in the movie industry. But he said, I knew that uh, my parents were going to have a hard time not only hearing that, but hearing the fact that the man I've been living with just died of AIDS. I just did his funeral, and now I found out that I'm HIV positive. What do I do? And of course, the first words that came to my mind were, I'm sick and tired of hearing about AIDS. (laughs) But suddenly, you have a face associated with this issue. That's what made the difference for me. And uh, my heart really began to break for Kevin. And so he shared with me his whole story. And uh, I'm glad to say by the end of that day, he had accepted the Lord and he walked faithfully with the Lord for the next 12 years, because after 12 years, the Lord called him home. His parents were very, very blessed that he had come to know the Lord and certainly embraced him, even though he was HIV positive. He thought they would reject him. Of course, they didn't, and they loved him.
1: So that was number one.
0: Number one. What was number two? Number two were two guys in our church who came to me one Sunday after church. They were both uh, part of the new life program at the orange county rescue mission i was on the board of directors part of the program for guys who had given their lives to the lord was to visit and attend churches in the area and these guys had come to our church and i knew them knew them fairly well they had both been drug users they shared drugs all over the world and then they came to the lord and had a real conversion but in the program they all had to be tested for hiv and one day, one Sunday after church, they said, Pastor Bruce, can we talk to you for a moment? And I said, sure, John. Come on, let's go talk over here, Joe. And they said, we've both been tested HIV positive. We don't know what to do. And of course, the first words that came to my mind were, <laughs> I'm sick and tired of hearing about AIDS. And <laughs> The and Lord keeps bringing that back to you. He was <laughs> getting my attention. And so uh, we talked about it. And we decided out of that to meet together to start praying. Because that's all I knew we could do. So we decided to pray on Tuesday nights from about 6.30 till about 8. And because I was on the radio, I had a radio program for many years, a Bible teaching program, I started inviting people to come and be a part of this prayer group, which turned into a support group, which later became the ministry of He Intends Victory. How large did that group become? Well, it varied, but we would go from three and four to 15 to 18, and then we'd go back down to nine because two or three people died. And in fact, I did funerals for many, many, many people over the years, because in those days, as soon as you found out you're HIV positive, how often you would be given a yeah. year or six months or not a year much and a half. that could be done at no, that time. Right? Not many, in, not much was available in medications.
1: All right. So now you've already moved into this phase. You've got this support group going. Yeah. There, there was something more
0: though. Yes, there was one last experience that really touched my heart and really finally broke my heart. Uh, I got a call from a woman in our church whose brother had met the Lord one Sunday after service. And a nice guy from LA, I knew him fairly well and he had given his heart to the Lord. He's a young businessman and she called me and she said, Bruce, could you visit Kurt? He's in the hospital and he's dying. And I said, wow, from what, what's going on? And she said, he's got AIDS and they haven't given him much time to live. And I just was shocked, I said, Kurt has AIDS? how could that be? And she said, I'm not sure. Well, I found out later that he had been a recreational drug user, but recreationally using heroin with needles is not a good idea. Mm. And he had contacted HIV through that. But I went into the hospital, I visited him, and I still remember walking in and uh, nurses weren't paying any attention. They were talking. And at that time, you had to wear gloves and a mask and I didn't know that. There's I just a lot walked, of mystery, wasn't uh, there? Yeah, yeah, and I just walked into the room, and his IV had come out of his arm. He was strapped to his bed. His body was in some kind of contortion, and my heart broke for him. And I immediately saw some Kleenex, and I started wiping up the HIV blood. Didn't realize it was that, but uh, I started wiping it up off of his arm, and my heart just began to weep for him. And in a moment, the nurses came in, shooed me out, made me put all the items on and I finally were able to go back was able to go back in sit down and I couldn't tell if he could hear me or not or understand me because his body was moving all over and and finally I said Kurt this is Bruce and I said if you can if you know it's me blink your eye one time and he blinked his eye hmm. his eyes and so I said uh, yes was one blink and no was two blinks and for the next 20 minutes we had a conversation and yes and no answers. And after 20 minutes, I said, Kurt, are you ready to go be with the Lord? Because honestly, I don't think you're going to come out of here alive. And he blinked his eyes, yes. And I prayed with him, and shortly after that, he died. Oh. And God had my attention. I guess so. It broke my heart. So what did you do with that then? You're <laughs> still a pastor at this point, right? I, I was. And I realized that people with HIV were hurting people. You know, that was the thing. Is that I, As long as it was a disease, as long as it was those guys... As long as it was all those people in the homosexual community, maybe mm-hmm. who got what they deserved, mm-hmm. whatever, it wasn't effective to me. But when it affected me, when I saw these people I knew face to face, when their hearts were broken and they were in a great place of need, my heart changed and I realized I hadn't been acting like Jesus at all. And we began to ask the question what would Jesus do? And course, that was already a popular question, and uh, that has been going around Christian circles for many years, since the 50s. Uh, Uh, Actually, longer than that, Charles Sheldon back in the 1890s wrote the book in his steps. Yeah, that's right. so, anyway, it was like, it was this place where I had an opportunity, I I realized, to reach out to people and share the hope of Jesus. Because I found uh, for those guys in our support group, as they began to have hope, hope for eternity, not necessarily hope that their bodies are going to be healed or miraculously healed, but hope for eternity and sense that they had a value yet and that, that God still saw them mm-hmm. as valuable and I saw them as valuable and others could see them as valuable. That really made a difference in their lives and, and they began to change their view and live longer. So,
1: you started what is now known as He Intends Victory. HIV. That's right. He intends victory.
0: That's right. And it started with a number three people in our support group. One of them was a hemophiliac. Now, he was the guy who got it because he took blood products. You know, hemophiliac, their blood doesn't coagulate, so they have to take blood products. Okay. And where you get the blood products are from donors, mm-hmm. uh, people who donate blood. And at that time, there were no it tests. It wasn't screened. It wasn't screened. Yeah. And so, a hemophiliac, most half of the hemophiliacs in the United States had HIV. And he was one of them. Uh, And so, he was what what was considered a HIV victim. He hated that term. He felt he was HIV positive. It was just part of his life. Mm -hmm. But Mike Hilton, another was Tamara Brown. Tamara was a party girl. She had been a party girl. And then she gave her life to the Lord and was watching television one day about people with HIV. And at the back of the program, it said, Make sure you're tested if, you, if you've done this, this, and this. And she thought, well, I used to do that nine years ago. And sure enough, she went down, was tested, and she was HIV positive. Her husband and her six-year-old son were not HIV positive. So she was grateful for that, but she became part of our support group. And then the third person who helped start their ministry was Herb Hall. Herb uh, was a, what we would call a former homosexual. Now, that was not a popular term, still isn't a popular term, but that was the fact, and that was the case. He'd lived in the life for 10 years, lived a double life, and then after 10 years, um, came back to the Lord, re- really recommitted his life to the Lord, and was now walking with the Lord and was HIV positive. And so those three made up the ministry of He and His Victory. We'll talk more with Bruce Sonnenberg
1: about ministry to those who are victims of HIV AIDS in just a moment. Next time on First Person, you'll meet the late Jacob DeShazer who found Christ in a Japanese POW camp in World War II. The
0: glory of heaven just seemed to fill that prison cell. And I knew I was born again. Newspaper reporters came and asked him, why did you come back to Japan? You were mistreated in the prison, and so he had a chance to tell right away how God had changed his life.
1: He was a Doolittle raider, but Jacob DeShazer and his wife Florence went to Japan as missionaries. Meet them next time on First Person. I want to talk more about He Intends Victory and all that you're doing, but isn't it true that this HIV AIDS crisis has sort of been relegated to the back burner
0: of our attention, and why is that? Well, you know, it came into the United States years ago through the homosexual community, but it came in that door. And so the evangelical church especially reacted to that instead of responded to it. And we reacted by saying, they get what they deserve or it's God's punishment. That was such uh, the wrong way to do it. Instead of it being a health issue, it became a social issue. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, the gay community used it as part of their agenda to go after their rights. So the church didn't react very well at first at all. But over the years, we began to see a little by little that change, and the church began to change with their attitude and reaching out to people and just helping people. Then the medications started coming into play, and more and more the medications were available, very expensive at first, $6,000 a month. Thank the Lord, they're down to about $1,500 a month now, wow. but it's still a lot of money. Yes. So with the medications, people began to live longer. And because people live longer, the medication has become more of a chronic disease in the United States, and consequently, people kind of have put it on the back burner. People got those two confused, uh, those issues confused, uh, with uh, Magic Johnson, who was HIV positive, and the fact, well, it's now just a chronic disease, and all you do is take a pill, so there must not be very much HIV around anymore. And the truth is, 57,000 people a year are still infected just in the United States, and over 1 million people are infected with HIV in the United States. To bring that down to where we live, that means if you go to a church of 300 people, statistically, One person in your congregation is HIV positive. That makes it meaningful, doesn't it? Yeah. (laughs) And so there's still a tremendous amount of people here who are facing this issue. Then when you talk about all the people who are affected by that, you've got millions of people, millions. But how about the world? Well, there you've got HIV, and it doesn't just affect one group in the community or one uh, n- race or one nationality. It's all over the world. 34.4 million people are HIV positive. They have great needs, and I see it as a people group. And many of those victims are
1: unwitting victims because their mother was HIV That's positive, right. so they are HIV yep. positive.
0: You have over 2 million children who are born with HIV. You have, I can't tell you how many millions of women who were faithful, monogamous, wives, whose husbands weren't who infected the wives. Mm-hmm. And especially in Africa, you see these husbands, they're infected long enough ago that they die and leave the women with their children mm-hmm. alone. Mm-hmm. And it's this huge problem in Africa. It's exactly. a humanitarian crisis, isn't it? It is. It really is. And it's still facing us. And in fact, I've got nine grandchildren and my grandson and probably my great-grandson or great-granddaughter, whatever I will have, uh, will still be facing HIV and AIDS issues around the world. Mm-hmm. But why hasn't, the church in particular, really ever responded the way you would like to see it respond? Well, I think part of that is because of this attitude that people get what they deserve. This is a behavioral virus, in a sense. It's it's You get it from doing something. Except for the children mm-hmm. who are born with it, the majority of people were sexually active, using drugs, and passing a needle around, doing something to get it. And we have this Uh, well, as Christians, we tend to have this little bit of self-righteousness deep down in there that says, well, see, it's the punishment of your sin. But I always look at that and say, wait a minute, there's lots of things that happen in our lives that, sure, I should have been punished for my sin in a lot different ways if that were the case. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I'm guilty, I'm a sinner, and I'm saved by grace. And... Sometimes we just put too much emphasis on that punishment rather than, and we try to determine what that punishment is, and we say, oh, that must be HIV, when really we live in a sinful world, and it's the effects of living in a sinful world. I mean, breast cancer is not God's punishment on women. Uh, we live in a sinful world. It's the effects of living in this world. Uh, prostate cancer is not God's punishment on men. It's part of the effects of living in a sinful world. And eating certain foods and living certain ways and so on. So, for HIV, because we looked at it as this uh, form of punishment ever so subtly, uh, it, it still has that stigma to it. Now, if you travel around the world, like I'm blessed and privileged to, you'll see in most countries of the world, there is still great stigma to people with HIV, uh, and especially children with HIV. Mm-hmm. They are the lowest of their societies. They are looked down upon. Uh, I'll just share a quick story. Sure. Uh, we have a support group that started in Omo, Ethiopia. Omo is out in the middle of nowhere, it's in southern Ethiopia. Uh, and so we have six women. Uh, And one man who came together because they were HIV positive through our country director who knew them and brought them together, and they all realized they had been kicked out of their churches for being HIV positive. The only one who could raise his hand and said, I did this to myself, was the man. The six women had all been infected by their husbands, who had all died. These seven people had been kicked out of their churches. Once somebody in the church found out they were positive, they'd been kicked out of their churches. They all, uh, two of them were working. They lost their jobs. They said, well, why don't we start our own church? So, it started, and the word started getting out. People with HIV were welcome to come, and in no time we had a church of 140 people. Well, then they realized, you know, there's a lot of people who don't know the Lord who need to know that he loves and cares for them. And in no time at all, we've had witch doctors and Muslims and people who are HIV positive, rejected by their culture and their society, come to know Jesus. And today, we have a church of 500 people. So, how many countries do you do you reach, and what do you do in those countries? <laughs> We're in 22 countries of the world, including the United States, and we do different things in different countries. Did you start out anticipating you would move from your neighborhood to no, the world? I have... No idea. I had no vision at all for touching the world. I had a vision for helping those two guys that were sitting right before me and the guy in the hospital bed who died and Kurt. Uh, I had no idea. But the Lord had good plans. And, uh, and out of that, we started, you know, you, you hear of people in different parts of the world who are HIV positive. Uh, my friend who was a missionary in Malaysia invited me to come over there. So in 1996, I went to Malaysia. And I was invited to speak at the largest church in Malaysia. Well, they started responding. And so today, we have three homes in Malaysia for women who are HIV positive and their children. Uh, It's been a wonderful refuge for, for these women, mostly, I shouldn't say mostly, some from Burma, who flee and come in the country illegally because in Burma, if you're HIV positive, you can be shot. You can be killed. So, these women who are positive and their children flee across the border. So, today we have, I think of the children in our home there. Um, two of them are HIV positive, the kids. The mothers are. We provide a place for them. We are able to get the medications for them. So, they live. I mean, it's just a wonderful ministry there in Malaysia.
1: You've been at this for a while now. Yeah. God changed your perspective rather, <laughs> rather dramatically. He
0: sure did. Why do you still do it? Doesn't
1: it, it it's got to affect you emotionally, physically?
0: I have this burning desire in me to help people. And in that burning desire, I see that people with HIV are especially or in great need. The neglected ones. And neglected. They're the modern day lepers. They they? are. And because of that, I see that I realized, what would Jesus do? He would go and help them. He would do things that would encourage them and bless them. Uh, You know, that scripture where Jesus reaches out and touches the leper, the man with leprosy comes and, and falls at the feet of Jesus and begs Jesus, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And the Bible says, of course, we read what the Bible says, Jesus reached out and touched the man and the man was made clean. What we don't really read is that Jesus touched the man first. In touching the man first, Jesus identified with that man. In essence, Jesus became unclean. In
1: the eyes of those around him, he Absolutely. sure did. Yeah.
0: And he reached out and touched the man, and then he healed the man. And that's what Jesus does in all of our lives. He touches us, and then we're healed. Now, some of us certainly have miraculous healings, but most of us, all of us as Christians, have a spiritual healing that changes our eternity. And that's what we do with He Intends Victory. We want people to know Jesus loves them, that they still have value, that they still can live and go forward, whether they have a week to live or whether they have 20 years to live.
1: So, you offer the hope and encouragement that Christ offers.
0: That's right. That's our goal. And we want to do that. And we do that to anyone. We don't say, well, are you a Christian? Or are you a candidate for Christianity? We, are, we do that to anyone. And, so, uh, and we, uh, to be honest with you, I don't care if they're uh, not Christians. I don't care if they're Muslims. I don't care if they're homosexuals. I don't care if they're uh, whatever. Uh, or if they're believers. We want to encourage them with the hope that only the Lord offers. That gives purpose and meaning and value. And so we do that gently, we do that kindly, we do that with great sensitivity and with great respect. Bruce Sonnenberg of He Intends Victory.
1: Bruce is looking for both churches and individuals to partner with He Intends Victory, and we've placed links to his website at firstpersoninterview.com. As I mentioned earlier, December 1st will be World AIDS Day, an opportunity for the church to proclaim the hope of Christ to hurting victims. For more information, visit the links at firstpersoninterview.com. And thanks for your listening support of First Person. We're grateful for the many radio stations that now carry the broadcast, as well as for those of you who listen via podcast. You can listen anytime online at firstpersoninterview.com or to the podcast on iTunes and other sources. Well, it will soon be the 60th anniversary of Pearl Harbor, so next time you'll hear the story of one of the Doolittle Raiders who was a part of history. You'll hear the testimony of Jacob DeShazer and his wife Florence, who both became missionaries to Japan after World War II. Now with thanks to my friend and producer Joe Carlson, I'm Wayne Shepard. Join us next time for First Person.